With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say. Your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Turns and conditions apply. They remember Creighton talking to me and saying something. We got to get the broads out of broadcast. You know, and that was kind of something that he would say that was, you know, not appropriate, but it was Creighton and you kind of just looked at him, shook your head and went, all right, I'm going to go back to work. So he was a great guy to learn from and real stickler for details. And I'm so thankful I had the opportunity. Great to have you joining me for the show today. Our guest coming up in just a moment. I've got my crowd ultra Q&A. And then, of course, Grant's Rant. Today's show is brought to you by New Works Plumbing, locally owned in Sacramento for over 20 years. Leak detection, water line repair, bathroom plumbing, New Works Plumbing. Hey, they are a full-service plumbing solution. Really doesn't matter how small or how large your plumbing problem Because they've got a fix for you. And they're expert technicians. They're available 24-7 for all of your plumbing needs. Just go to newworksplumbing.com. That's N-E-W-W-R-X-Plumbing.com. My guest today has been a fixture on television in Northern California doing mostly weather. She's a meteorologist currently at KOVR, but uh, I remember her when I first moved to Sacramento in 1987 doing sports uh, with that amazing new staff at KCRA. It is an absolute pleasure to welcome to the podcast Christine Hansen. Christine, it's great to catch up with you. How are you? I'm great. Thanks, Grant. And it's great to catch up with you. My gosh, I remember those days and it doesn't seem like I mean, 87 doesn't seem like however many, many years ago <laughs> it was, right? But sure. yeah, flown by. You know, when I moved there, I remember Stan Atkinson, Margaret Pelly, Shelly Monahan, with Bob Hogue, Creighton Sanders, and you, KCRA, one of the great affiliates in the country. Unlimited budget is what it appeared. Me working at a newsroom staff of five at, over at Channel Thirty One, and I used to. <laughs> I, I remember that. I, yes. I used to. Well, I used to see you and Bob and Creighton at every major sporting event. I used to see you at the World Series, the Super Bowl. I used to see you everywhere, and I'd be in my little trailer in the parking lot at Channel Thirty One, going, <laughs> "How nice was that?" But seriously, those were great days, weren't they? 
Oh my gosh, we just had full staff and I started in sports because we had such a heavy weather department. I had worked at Cromford News and came back and then I went over to KGO and after this, but when I came over the weather department, we had Tom Duhane, Harry Stockman. I mean, these are all names for people from Sacramento that are well-known meteorologists. We have Betty Vasquez. I was working in the department at the time as well. It, it, there were five major weather people that were pretty, as you said, heavy hitters in the market. And we all came down from the Harry Geist, which was a long-range forecaster revered across the country and participant in the World War II forecast for D-Day. So we were all disciples of that. It, it just got to be there wasn't a lot of room left for me in the weather department. So that's how I made a transition over to sports at that time. But yeah, the budget was there. John Kelly, Bob Kelly, very committed, you know, getting our own helicopter and just the news came first and still does. It's a big time TV station. Great to grow up there, as I can say, because I, I, that was actually my first job out of college. You know, it's interesting because I brought up the name Creighton Sanders. And when I moved to Sacramento, I mean, he was like a godlike figure in Sacramento. But for me, you know, I, I moved to Sacramento when I was 27. Again, I'm at an unknown station and he was kind of a tough egg to crack to kind of, you know, get in. And once once he accepted you and you were within his kind of circle, I, I used to love talking to him. What was it like being around him? Well, I met him when I was in college. I was uh, at uh, Sac State, um, this kind of local girl here, grew up in uh, North Highlands, moved to Carmichael, and went to uh, La Sierra High School, and then went to AR at Sac State. If you're familiar with the area, you know these are all the schools to kind of move up the ladder. And then once I was in uh, Sac State, I majored in communications and went to KCRA. But during the years at the college, you know, we had all of our football games, and uh, of course, we were affiliated with uh, little sisters, sororities, and um, fraternities. And uh, I was in, I was a Camellia Bowl queen, and the Camellia Bowl back in the day in Sacramento was a big event. And so I met Creighton at the Camellia Bowl, I was Camellia Bowl princess there, and he came up and interviewed me. And it was so scary to be interviewed by Creighton Sanders. <laughs> sure. You know? Just shaking because he was such a big star in the market. And then all the years later to work with him. And he and I kind of had a friendly love-hate relationship. And I think that might be how many people classify their relationship with Creighton. Uh, he was, he expected, when I first started working with him in the department, he expected me to go out and do a great job on interviews. If I didn't, he told me so. <laughs> and, <laughs> sure. But he would also compliment me if something went right. So he was not difficult to work with, but you had to toe the line. You had to come in prepared, know what you were doing. And, you know, he had a way of saying things. Sometimes he just scratched your head. I think somebody pointed out to me in the newsroom at KOVR recently, they remember Creighton talking to me and saying something, we got to get the broads out of broadcasting, you wow. know? Yeah. <laughs> and that was kind of something that he would say that was, you know, not appropriate, 
but it was Creighton, and you kind of just looked at him, shook your head, and went, all right, I'm going to go back to work. So he was a great guy to learn from and a real stickler for details, and I'm so thankful I had the opportunity. You know, it's interesting you say that. I had Susan Waldman on my podcast, a uh, longtime uh, broadcaster in New York, doing the Yankees on radio with John Sterling. She started at WFAN Radio in New York, and we kind of talked about her you know, and what she had to deal with being a female in the sports industry and what you just said about Creighton and that era, was that hard for you back then to be in sports? Were you looked upon? Did you feel, uh, I don't know, uncomfortable ever? Well, I started, what happened when I talked about uh, the weather department and how that got a little heavy and then the uh, news director, Pete Langloy, asked if I would consider doing uh, either environmental or medical reporting. And I said, you know, I'm just, I'm not, that's not my thing. I'm really not interested. I'm a really avid sports person. I grew up with my stepdad listening to Dr. Dames in the car with the crackling radio and uh, playing catch. I ran track and field. I played powder puff football in high school and ran track. And it was I, I looked at him, I said, what if we, and I, I started looking at the numbers for our newscasts because weather was, of course, people, it was a big chunk of time and our numbers were big when it came to weather. But all of a sudden the numbers started dropping off at the end of the newscast when we did sports. So I went to the news director, uh, still Pete Langlois at the time, and I said, what if, we did sports that people participate in. I mean, my friends play golf, they play tennis, they, I have people that go and have darts on weekend contests at various pubs. And what if we actually do some stories instead of traditional sports that people participate in? Could I do sports and do some sports reporting? And I, I, he looked at me and said, well, I'm going to let you take this opportunity. You can do the morning show and you can do the noon show. You can do a sports segment. And he said, I want you to do some traditional sports, but I want you to put your spin on it and do the people stories and do some of the sports of participatory sports. So that's how I got started. I actually went in and petitioned for that. And originally it started taking off because it was golf tips and tennis tips and things like that. And then it came time for spring training and or football, you know, preseason football practice. And he says, well, we've really got to have you start doing traditional sports. So that's how I got the start in it. And it's only when it became traditional sports that it was difficult. Take me back to 1985 when the Kings moved there from Kansas City. What was it like to be in Sacramento working in TV and the excitement knowing that the NBA was coming to that little town of Sacramento? Well, it was unbelievable uh, for us, uh, you know, as a sports team to be able to cover the games. And I had prior to the Kings coming been a beat reporter for the Warriors, the Golden State Warriors. And this was in the heyday prior uh, this was when Chris Mullins and J.B. Carroll, and uh, we still had Magic and uh, uh, yeah, oh I mean, gosh, K- Kareem was playing with the Lakers and Worthy yeah, and Magic. Yeah, Kareem was that, with yeah, the Lakers. Right, right. Yeah, that whole era. 
and the Warriors went to some of the uh, playoffs at that time. So I was over in Oakland covering that. So I was prepared to start covering some NBA basketball. Now, the people that actually brought the team here, Greg Lukenville, and his this all came about as a result of a group of guys uh, taking and buying all this property out north Sacramento where there was nothing going on and they had this property and they thought well it's kind of like if we build it they will come Mm -hmm. and that's exactly what they did and it was quite a process to see how they took that got the team and uh, the funding to bring of course the Kansas City Kings over and then just excitement of covering it for us oh my gosh it just it it was enthusiasm. I had season tickets. We got the opportunity to purchase some tickets and blocks down uh, close behind the players' benches. And it's where you saw everybody. It was kind of like a cheers. You know, it was kind of like a cheers segment where you saw everybody in town. It was exciting to see all the other teams come. And of course, every night for us to have that type of coverage and something to talk about besides Bay Area teams was really exciting as a sportscaster. You know, Christine, it was funny. I had Reggie Theus on the podcast recently, and of course, he was on that team that moved from Kansas City. And, you know, a lot of the players that were on, you know, Kansas City, they were excited about moving to California. He goes, oh, no, 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 no. He goes, you're moving to Sacramento. You're not moving to, you know, you know you're not moving to the beaches. You know, you're, you're, you're going you're, you're gonna to actually feel like you're still in Kansas City. But I used to kid Reggie because when I moved to Sacramento in 87, and I remember there were two places, there were three places that you could go in the evening in Sacramento. If you needed something to eat, you would go to TGIF Fridays. If you wanted to go right. out to have, or you would go to Peppermill, okay? And then if you wanted to go right. out, the only place to go was Confetti's, which was across the street from Arden Fair Mall. And that was it. Those were your options back then in that the late it. 80s, right? Yeah, and you would find, you know, all of the 49er players during the 80s would go to Confetti's. And, you know, they had also their basketball games so I did some commentating for those for the Niners it was a I believe it was a fundraising you know squad for them to play and have local cover you know local visibility for uh, charitable events and things like that but yeah you could go into confetti just about any night fight anybody that was playing on a team there because <laughs> it wasn't like it is now I mean there was right you could actually go in there and just dance and you know have a cocktail and meet people <laughs> and not be mobbed and yeah. you're right it was a very small hometown and I'm sure it was quite a shock to all of them I ended up working years later with Reggie as he was um, a commentator in the booth with uh, Gary Gerald and I was doing courtside reporting so we we been with the team off and on all these years and then of course I worked with his daughter when she was over at Good Day Sacramento hmm. Rocky Theus. So, you know, you stay here long enough, you're yep. going to know everybody, right? It's unbelievable because, you know, I, again, I've, I had Gary Gerald on. I've had Greg Lukenbill on because I love talking about that era and when when Sacramento really didn't have anything sports-wise. I mean, I'm exaggerating a little bit, but, you know, they didn't have any big-time sports. And then, you know, the Kings changed everything, but the 49ers were great in that decade of the 80s. And, you know, even yeah. though we, we'll get and talk about, you know, you doing, you know, weather on, on news in both San Francisco and Sacramento, but what a great period of time in Sacramento to be covering sports. It was phenomenal, wasn't it? Oh, it was. And we had, of course, the 49ers being in Rockland, and Rockland was still just a small little college out in the middle of nowhere. Yep. 
and you know what that whole part of town looks like now but back then you drive and drive and drive from downtown sure (laughs) what are they doing way out here and um and it, the players were approachable, the coaches were approachable, and that was the Super Bowl years. Yep. It, that's kind of where I got my feet wet in sports because when I went and asked to do sports, it was, of course, on a participatory story level. But then when the 49ers uh, were there every summer, that got up to now you're our new 49er reporter. And my first day out there at Sierra College, I came after doing the weather and I had to get out and do a package and get it back for the five o'clock show. And I got out on the field and I'm standing in my high heels. I've got, <laughs> you know, the weather people used to wear suits back in the day. So <laughs> right. we had skirts on and I'm this is 1981, 82, and I'm standing on the field, and all of a sudden, two security guys come over, and I said, ma'am, do you have press passes? And I said, yes, I do. I work here for KCRA, and they said, well, the coach has asked that you please leave the field. Wow. I said, really? And they said, yeah, it's very distracting, and <laughs> he's never seen you here before, and you need to go. So I was escorted off the practice field. And I got back to the station and Pete and Don Saracino, who is our general manager, and John Kelly, came into the office. They said, what just happened? And I said, well, they've never seen a woman out there covering sports. And they asked me to leave the field. Mm. I said, well, we're going to call the 49er organization and we're going to have a meeting with them because you're our B reporter. You're going to have to be there and we need stories from you every single day. So John Kelly stepped up after talking to the 49ers and prepared them for the fact that I'm going to be out there. And it, it was met with quite a bit of resistance. Really? They did not want me to be there. Wow. And finally they uh, got through to him that this is what's going to happen. And John Kelly uh, stepped up and said, you know what we're going to have to do is Christine, we're going to get you an image consultant and we've got to have you fit in. So they hired an image consultant. And she said, when I look down the field, during practice, you need to look like you blend in. So we got slacks, hmm. Oxford shirts, and a belt, and flats, and put me back out there. And I pulled my hair back in a ponytail. Jeez. And just, you know, watched the game and then stayed back and requested interviews through Jerry Walker, who was yeah. the P, um, public information guy, or, you know, the... Yeah. Uh, and he was strict. Public Boy, was he strict, Jerry Walker. Oh, my gosh. Oh, yeah. And nobody knew me at the time. And I, I I, just got interviews at the very last minute. And finally, you know, over many, many seasons of working, everything improved. And the players were fabulous to work with. But that's how it was to start. And it, it obviously improved over the years. And it turned out to be a great experience. But it wasn't – it was not easy starting out in many levels. Um, so – but that, those were fun days, like you said, because Niners were popular, you know, winning was exciting, and everybody knew everybody. It was Joe Montana on the field, which, you know, with Dwight Clark and Roger Craig and Tina Turner and Dwight Hicks, all the great, famous 49ers. Well, and they were so accessible and great. I mean, I remember standing. Exactly. Uh, they were fabulous. I, I remember standing on the blacktop at 
Sierra College after practice, getting interviews. It was hot. You know what I'm talking about. You know, sometimes it was triple digits oh and the heat coming off that blacktop. But the guys were great. You know, Randy Cross. I mean, I can go on and on how how nice. But I'll tell you, you mentioned Jerry Walker. I remember being on the field a number of times with a field pass. OK, and I would be shooting the game. And but Jerry would stand up in the press box, unbeknownst to me at the time, with binoculars. And he would literally, you know what I'm talking about. And he would then come down onto the field. All right. And if you weren't working, like if you had taken a five minute break and you weren't, he would go and he would try to rip the pass off you and escort you off the field. And you would have to plead with him. No, Jerry, Jerry, I'm legit. Blah, blah, blah. He was it was unbelievable the way he ran that PR department. Yeah, he was he was tough. And. There were a few incidences for me, for example, I was, I was having difficulty because, as you recall, these were days where we didn't have the anteroom with the podium. Yes. And to get your stories or to get – now, I, over the years, made friends with the players and made sure that they knew after the game that can I talk to them on their way to the bus or their car mm-hmm. because – I wasn't allowed in. I I could go in the locker room. Nobody was preventing me from going in there, but it was very uncomfortable. I was in there one time and Hacksaw Reynolds took off his shoes, slammed the locker and threw it at me. Wow. And I, I ducked and it missed me. And he goes, get the hell out of here. Wow. And I said, okay, I will. So I asked the players, could you guys, I'll respect this. If you guys will respect my need to get a story on for after tonight's game, and can you stop and talk to me? And there are a couple times they go, Christine, we're just all tired. We're, and I said, well, it's either that or I'm coming in. And they said, all right. So they did that for me, and they would wait. And it was at that point where I was having so much difficulty that I went to general manager, and I said, you know, which, of course, is. Well, was it John uh, McVeigh back then? Day, John yeah. McVeigh, yeah, yeah, John McVeigh, and he said, "Well, you know, we'll we'll somehow figure out how we can do this." And then he and Bill got together and they started the podium. Well, the podium now not only do the players hate it because they have to be interrupted and come out, but the you know the print writers don't have access to players individually Mm. or independently. So I just got kind of really attacked from a number of sides on now we have to do this because we have a woman in the midst who won't go in the locker room. And it was uncomfortable for everybody to start with, but that's how this whole program started with the podium. How about that? And that's amazing to me, but okay. But so you were at times, you were on an island, correct? I mean, you were you were the only female, and you changed the way things were done. But during that period of time, I don't. I mean, how truly difficult was that for you? Did you feel like I don't want to say a troublemaker? You're only doing your job, but were you ever like, right. was this worth it? I mean, what was that like for you, Christine? Oh, it was. There were times where it was really difficult, and Jerry Reynolds didn't make my life very easy in the beginning. He came to me one day and he said, "I can't believe you went over my head on some of these things." And he said, "You know, this is why I would I I didn't appreciate having, you know, this change because guys talk guy to guy, you know." But he said, "You're kind of going around my back," and I said, "Jerry, I'm." I will go by the rules. You tell me how you want me to approach this, but I'm missing out on pertinent information that I need to do to keep my job. Mm. 
And once he and I had this heart to conversation, he goes, okay, let's make it easier for you. Let's figure out how we can get this done. So it took a lot of people and I, it was hard for him to figure out how to do it, but he did it. And he and I are very good friends to this day. He named his daughter, Christine. He goes, I named her after you because you're just, you know, you're tenacious. <laughs> he goes, <laughs> I could see this. And I wanted my daughter to kind of be that way too. But he, that was part of it. And then, okay, that's the 49ers. So that was hard to get in the door and to have everybody work with you. But then you go and cover a Raider game right down mm-hmm. at the Coliseum and face the same thing. Now the Raiders don't see me because John Mallows and Creighton covered the Raider camps. So well, I covered the 49er camp and I get to a Raider game as a playoff game. And um, I had the same agent in Marcus Allen. So Marcus knew me from uh, Ed Hook Stratton. And then there was a DB there that was there. Anyway, I was in the locker room uh, and Al Davis came at me swinging. And both wow. these guys just threw me on the floor. They laid on top of me and went, leave her alone. You know, we'll get her out of here. He Jeez. goes, get this, you know, girl out of the locker room. And I just thought, oh, my gosh, this is so hard. It's so hard. I, I just couldn't quite work around it. Of course, now things have changed dramatically. And I love that. The industry, how to, it, everything has to start somewhere, and we've seen the evolution. Um, but I, I stayed with it because it was I enjoyed sports, and what I enjoyed was covering the people that were in sports. I covered the stories around sports, and it was it was just a lot of fun for me at the time. But there were a lot of you know struggles along the way. 1974, September, Playboy Magazine's Playmate of the Month. What was that experience like, and what did that do for your career? Well, I, you know, I was going to college in at Sac State, and I wanted to kind of be in the theater arts and communications. And, you know, back then, uh, I wasn't really encouraged by my parents or family to go to school. Most of us just got out of school and went to work. And it was a girlfriend of mine, Gail Montgomery. She's still one of my best friends or my best friend. And she got me into Sac State. And I, we used to do these um, college kickoff things where you get together with other people, incoming freshmen. And a guy there suggested, he goes, what are you going to do? And I said, I don't know. I'd like theater. And I've been a, with the Sacramento Ballet and theater ballet. And I like theater arts and maybe that. And he said, you know, a lot of people aspire to do theater, but he says, maybe there's a way. And I, I'm on needing funding and working full time to try and get through school. And he said, maybe there's some other ways of doing this. Have you ever thought about doing any modeling or, and he was handling the subscription ads for Playboy. And I said, oh my gosh. He said, why don't we send a few pictures in? And I said, well, what kind of pictures? And he says, you know, bathing suit shots. I thought, okay. I guess I could do that. And, you know, you have to understand, I'm a Catholic girl. I went to, you know, Catholic school, Loretto, before moving to La Sierra, and uh, still very a practicing Roman Catholic. And I thought, what would the Monsignor think if I did this? You know, <laughs> <laughs> right. So I went to him, and I said, what if I shot these pictures? And he goes, 
oh, Christine, we know you. You're one of our full. We love you. We'll trust in your judgment. And so anyway, with the kind of blessing of the church, I thought, all right, well, we'll move forward at least with bathing and soup shots. And never in my wildest dreams did I think any of this would happen. But at some point, I did get a call from Playboy, and they said, you have been selecting as a finalist for you know, our, uh, our playmate program. And it ended up, I went back and took some photos and they showed me how this whole process evolved where you take photos and then they put them in a binder and they send them out to all of the managers throughout the Playboy industry. And people actually check off. And these photos were demure. I mean, they're just starting off with that process. But he said, you have a certain photo photogenity uh, is that the word yes yeah i think so <laughs> and I, um that comes up on that we can see and so you know you're a finalist and then uh in the end you have never made the decision and so it became september 1974 and it was the first playmate that mm. was also going to be a playmate in europe and also in japan so it was not easy for my parents and family, but I had the blessing of my grandmother and at least the, you know, my monsignor at the church. And so that helped launch a career of traveling, speaking in front of people. I went to, uh, you know, I was on shows and we always wore a certain playmate outfit, but I think it allowed me to speak in front of people very easily. I toured all of Japan with all their major television shows as guests on the side of the bullet trains, even the plane when I landed in Japan had my picture on it. So I got used to speaking in front of people. You understand I'm just 21 years old still, 22 years old. And it gave me more importantly, some money to get through college and get my degree in communication studies. And when I came back from Playboy, after touring the last time, I took an, uh, I met some people Bill DeBlanc, who was a salesman from KCRA, and he said, don't go back to school for those units. Why don't you come and be an intern in our department here in the news department at KCRA? And that's how it happened. So I got my credit there and met Harry Geis and started in the weather. And so it all kind of plays into it, doesn't it? When you look sure. back, you don't, you don't know how you get from A to B to C to D, but that's how it started. And so Playboy really helped me launch everything that I am today in terms of my media career. And I'm very thankful for that opportunity with them. It was a great experience. It sounds phenomenal. And then uh, that was in 74. So I want to now jump back into the eighties. Do you feel that your exposure of being in Playboy and a playmate of the month when you got into sports, you had to deal with, oh, well, gee, that's the playmate. Oh, she was in Playboy. Now she's covering sports. And so so there were those that would not take you seriously, and you also had to fight through that barrier, didn't you? Yeah, that was another big deal. And the news, my news director, Pete, said, you know, Christine, if you get any credibility, it's going to become, it's going to come from you. Don't mess up names. And Grant, you know, we didn't have the internet. It's hard to believe, but we didn't have the internet. So I would come home after working and read box scores from the sporting news (laughs) and learn stats and know who was the MVP of last year's World Series and the World Series in 1975. And learn who the players were and who won the Cy Young Award because people challenged me everywhere I went. 
if I walked into a restaurant, they go, you don't know what you're doing. Uh, you wouldn't know who the 1980, you know, World Series champion was. And I go, well, it's so-and-so. Mm. And they look at me and they go, oh, you do know. <laughs> so I had to memorize a lot of maybe not really important facts, but just to kind of build credibility. And I, the idea of making sure you don't mispronounce names, that you're appropriate with, you know, your questioning. And I think where things really started turning around for me is when I started doing personal stories, you know, going to interview Tina at his home and meeting his daughters. And he named his, uh, you know, his, his daughter, Dina. And he, I, where did the name come from? How did you get there? And it started becoming, if I did stories, that my mom would watch not just some sports stories but sports that appeal to everybody watching tv i started gaining a little more credibility in that you know we're doing stories that people watch and uh enjoy the beyond just how many passes somebody threw or how many baskets you know whatever it, it became more that and i think that that's where i started finding my niche in the market and it really became fun for me at that point because people were on board. People started getting on board and going, we like what you're doing. And I thought, okay, then let's keep doing it. I say Hugh Hefner. You say what? Oh, <laughs> the guy next door. Does that, is that crazy? Yes. The guy next door. Wow. That's who he was. And that that's how he started. He was, and not only the guy next door, but a guy who still did all the work. He, in the mansion, when I would spend time there, he would literally have everything spread out. He was still making sure sales was on. He was still making sure the layout was done properly. He was part of the editorial team. He had his hands in everything. He came to me when I was working there. And he said, we've been looking over your pictures. And he said, I think, you know, you're better if we shoot pictures in the morning versus the afternoon. Hmm. I went, okay. He said, I just, I kind of like, you know, the freshness on your face. You seem to be an early, and here I did morning news for, you know, the last <laughs> 30 years right. of my life. But it would be eight o'clock at night. We'd be in the mansion. goes, Christine, you have an early morning shoot. Time to go to bed. You know, and I mean that he kept his hand on the pulse of the entire organization and he was somebody you could relate to and talk to and never lost track of that. And it just great sense of humor, but a business guy and somebody I was not afraid of. And he just appreciated that people came in and did their job. And, you know, Grant, during that era, you could sign up for whatever you wanted to sign up for going into that. And I signed up for it to be kind of a professional playmate. And then I came, did my job, did what I was supposed to do in terms of shooting for the magazine. I'm also uh, doing public events for them, uh, being a representative for them around the country and around the world. And he appreciated that. And in, when we had our 50-year play, playmate reunion, I did an interview with him. And he, he mentioned that to me. He said, I appreciate you set out to do something. You wrote about something in the magazine. We wrote about it, and that's what you ended up doing. You know, you set a goal, and you move forward with it. And he was just very approachable. I really enjoyed the opportunities at Playboy. And, again, people may have different experiences 
but that was mine. It was a very positive one. That's fascinating. I did want to ask you a quick question about meteorology on TV. From when you started to now, I mean, geez, oh, the, the, the radar images, the Doppler radar, I can go on and on. So is putting together a weather forecast now like an absolute easy piece of cake compared to when <laughs> you first got into the business? Seriously, what, I mean, it's got to be night and day. It is night and day. It's night and day. We honestly used to have to do our own temperature, like it's 10 degrees warmer by tracking the hourlies on a piece of paper <laughs> and then tracking last hours and this hour and going minus 10 degrees and minus five and why is it? And then we'd look at the winds and we'd see the wind flow pattern and we'd see the millibar heights, you know, the uh, pressure differences between San Francisco, Sacramento or Redding and Sacramento to see if a northeast wind or Reno to Sacramento to see if there's an east wind, which, of course, during the fall months produce our uh, wildfire potential here with low relative humidity, strong winds and high temperatures. But we had to calculate all of that. And then we have to go draw the map. Giant maps with uh, felt tip pens that somebody from the side would slide in when we pushed a button that would light up a little light bulb in the back of the set. Wow. And so they'd slide them in, and then we'd, you know, they were up our level charts and surface maps and really had to figure it all out at the time. Now, I think it helps to be in a market that you understand the nuances of your or microclimates of your market, but the computer can guide you all along the way. And we can just pinpoint to the second when the rain is going to start. Some of our computer models are so good certain times of the year. And it's just made our lives a lot easier, but it still doesn't hurt to have some knowledge of the market, right? Sure. Got to have knowledge yeah, of the market. Hurt. Yeah. No question. Yeah. So, but it is a lot easier now. The, the difficulty now is learning the computer graphic systems. Mm. They're complicated. And, you know, so if one of the producers comes up and says, I need a fire weather potential graphic, oh my gosh, I've got to build these. So you need to be actually a computer, you know, I, that's <laughs> my, that's where I fall a little short. I don't know computer systems that well. And the people that really can figure out computer building and technology like that do well in the marketplace. Well, I got to tell you, I have really enjoyed this conversation. So great catching up with you, Christine. F phenomenal uh, career that you've had and still going on at uh, KOVR and it's been great to uh, reminisce. I've really enjoyed this. Thank you so much. Well, thank you, Grant. And I, I love listening to your podcast. So I'm just glad you're out there doing this. Of course, we all know and love you. You and I used to work for the Kings at yep. the same time and been in the building. And I've always respected um, your work. And it's just a pleasure to talk to you as well. What a tremendous conversation with Christine Hansen. Hey, coming up on my podcast Tuesday, We'll get you ready for Thursday's NFL Draft. Chris Landry, LandryFootball.com, will join me. We'll talk about the quarterback position, and we'll zero in on the 49ers and the Raiders. That's coming up on Tuesday's podcast, if you don't like that. Hey, before we get to Crowd Ultra's Q&A, I want to tell you about 
ad load technologies because they are a brand new, innovative way to advertise your company. Now, they utilize LED digital displays that are embedded in the back of semi-trailers, so your message will always flow with traffic. They'll capture the attention of consumers in particularly high-traffic areas. Now, additionally, AdLoad can provide comprehensive and intelligent reporting, giving you accurate impression counts and exposure to analyze your marketing strategy for the long term. Now, just go to AdLoadTechnologies.com for more information. That's A-D-L-O-A-D, AdLoadTechnologies.com for more information. Time now for our Crowd Ultra questions. Just go to CrowdUltra.com. It takes a minute to sign up. Maybe I'll answer your question right here on the podcast. Ian wants to know, are great players in smaller markets typically underappreciated? No, not at all. doesn't matter what market you play in. I mean, Damian Lillard plays in a small market. Kevin Durant was in a small market before he went to the Warriors. Russell Westbrook was in a small market. Tim Duncan played in a small market. Tony Parker. I mean, I can go on and on. Makes no difference. No, I don't believe that that has anything to do whether a player is appreciated or underappreciated. David wants to know, could you argue that Curry is the MVP this year? I could not because of the team's record. I understand where you're going, but I could not. Jimmy wants to know, where does Patrick Marlowe rank all time in your opinion? Hey, I love what Marlowe's done, but you have to understand, he's only made the All-Star team four times. So is he a Hall of Famer? Yeah, he's a Hall of Famer based on what he has accomplished and his longevity. But he's not near my, like, real all-time list of the greatest hockey players. I hope that makes sense. But again, think about how long he's played. He's only been on the All-Star team uh, four times. Neil wants to know, should Alex Smith make the Hall of Fame for his comeback? No, that has nothing to do with the Hall of Fame. He's not a Hall of Fame quarterback. Uh, he's not a Hall of Fame player. Yes, he did have a Hall of Fame comeback, but no, he will not be uh, in Canton, uh, in my opinion. Jeff wants to know, how do you feel about leagues and players making public statements on Derek Chauvin's uh, prosecution? It's the world we live in today. You know, plain and simple. Everyone feels that they've got to make a public statement so they can show everyone that they support a cause. Now, I've said this, and you know me, I don't like to get political, and so I'm not going to start now. I use common sense on just about everything that I that I say and that I do. There might be an exception, but I always try to use common sense. I don't know why everyone was so surprised or was there a shock involved with guilty on all three counts. I mean, if you have eyes and... Uh, you know, unfortunately, not everybody can see. There are blind people, and I say that because I just received a blind message, uh, a direct message on social media. So I have to put that out there for that person that may be listening. My eyes told me everything that I needed to know about that particular situation. And yes, I know what's happened in the past, but there was no way in the world that he wasn't going to be found guilty. That I said that before it happened. I watched it live. There was nothing about any of that that surprised me. That's just me. So do leagues, do individuals, yeah, they feel like they have to be on the record as supporting a certain event. 
So how do I feel about it? It's 2021. That's where we're at. Uh, Alan wants to know, did I hear Barkley reveal an owner's comments on the future of sport betting? I did not, but it's not going anywhere. It's here to stay, and it's going to be in all 50 states. Jimmy wants to know, does Justin Fields having epilepsy lower his draft value? Not based on everything I've read with the medical experts and his family history. Uh, I, I do not. Justin wants to know, Grant, what's your take on LeBron threatening the police officer? Just go back and listen to yesterday's rant, both on these platforms and on YouTube. Go check out my video rant on YouTube, and I think that will answer your question. All right, let's move on. Nick wants to know, do I like or dislike any of the 10 potential NFL rule changes. Well, I like the fact that instant replay is not going to be completely uh, crazy. The replay official upstairs will be able to weigh in and help out the official. So I like that. The other rules, nothing really stuck out at me. Nothing really stuck out at me. Luke says, have you seen that Russell Westbrook has had multiple triple doubles Against every team. Pretty amazing. He's a heck of a talent. I mean, he's a heck of an individual talent. I mean, there's no doubt about it. I love personally watching him play. I really do. Josh wants to know, will sports be an American staple a decade from now? Yes. Yes, it will. Brandon wants to know, why do you think, or Brendan wants to know, why do you think the Yankees are struggling so badly? I think their team has been put together very poorly. That's why. Are they as bad as the record indicates No, now? No. Will they be in the playoffs? Probably. They'll get hot. But I don't like the way the team's been constructed. That's just me. Uh, Andre wants to know if I think the Nets are falling apart. No. I don't think they're falling apart unless you're talking about physically. They just had a lot of injuries. If they're all on the court together, they're probably still the team to beat in the Eastern Conference. Alex wants to know, could Jabari Parker revive his career in Boston? I don't think so. I don't think he's very good. That's just me. I don't think he's very good. Hey, if you want to ask me a question, all you need to do is go to crowdultra.com. That's crowdultra.com. And maybe, just maybe, I'll answer your question right here on my podcast. It's time for Rant. 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 Hey, today's rant is brought to you by Manscaped. Did you know that one guy every hour, every day is diagnosed with testicular cancer? So, hey, it's a reminder to all of the men listening to check yourself before you wreck yourself. And Manscaped, in addition to providing the right tools and solutions for safe and easy manscaping, they've partnered with the Testicular Cancer Society to spread awareness for men's health and early cancer detection. Now, folks, make sure that you give yourself an examination at least once a month. And if you feel any lumps or swelling, make sure you give your doctor a call. And in addition to checking yourself regularly, make sure that your sack is looking fresh and clean 
with the Manscaped Perfect Package 3.0. Now, inside the Perfect Package, you'll find products and liquid formulations that have been developed to turn your bathroom into a salon for your balls. It's awesome. The Crop Preserver, the Crop Reviver, the Perfect Package 3.0 also includes anti-chafing performance boxers. And if you join the Manscaped movement and start taking care of your balls today, you get 20% off and free shipping with the code NAPES, N-A-P-E-S, at manscaped.com. That's 20% off and free shipping with the code NAPES, N-A-P-E-S, at manscaped.com. Your balls will thank you. How about those Oakland A's that nobody seems to talk about? That's right. Going into last night's action, the Oakland A's had won 11 in a row, and they had the most wins in the entire American League. That's right. The A's, more wins than anyone else in the American League. And other than the Dodgers, who entered play last night with 14 wins, the second most wins in Major League Baseball. But you know what's amazing? Year in, year out, Bob Melvin just does an amazing job with that ball club. Doesn't matter what players go. Doesn't matter the players that come in. In other words, they lose good talent every year. And Bob Melvin just goes out in front of nobody in the stands. Now, I'm not talking about pandemic. I'm talking about pre-pandemic. Plays an empty ballpark. Plays in the worst facility in Major League Baseball. And all Bob Melvin does is putting a winning product on the field. Year in, year out, the A's are competitive. Year in, year out, when September rolls around, they're right in the thick of things. And more times than not, they go to the postseason. And yet, if you turn on your national sports shows, it's almost like the Oakland A's do not exist. And you know what? Melvin and the A's are probably just fine with that because they're so damn used to it. But if there's a more underappreciated team, a more underappreciated manager than Bob Melvin in Major League Baseball, I don't know who that would be. Again, I know it's April, but the Oakland A's, who started off miserably this season, have now won 11 in a row. They've got the most wins in the American League, second most in the bigs, and yet it's almost like they don't exist. Yeah, that's what happens when you play in Oakland. That's what happens when you are on the West Coast, and that's what happens when you don't have a lot of fans. The national TV shows... And the national media, they almost act like you don't exist. It's unbelievable to me. The Oakland A's, underappreciated every single freaking year. And all they do is go out and play winning baseball. Unbelievable. And that's my rant for today. And that's my podcast for today. My thanks to Christine Hansen. Don't forget, as I said, Chris Landry will preview the NFL Draft coming up on Tuesday's podcast. And don't forget to check out my video rants over on YouTube. Hey, I hope you have a fabulous weekend. And thank you so much for listening to If You Don't Like That with Grant Napier. Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? 
Like, are you a fist pumper, a woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver? I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.